Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Close Up Top Radio, the unique internet broadcast series that brings you together with some of the most amazing, important, and interesting individuals from the worlds of business, industry, travel, art, and entertainment, from company owners, CEOs, and presidents, to the technical wizards behind the scenes who create the magic that make their company's products and services so special. Here is your opportunity to hear firsthand the fascinating stories of how it all happened from those who actually made it possible. This is Close Up Talk Radio. Well, hello and good afternoon, everybody. This is Doug Llewellyn, back with you here again on Close Up Talk Radio. I'm your host today, and we are pleased to welcome back to our microphones Richard Hoffman from the Chatsworth Pavilion in Montreal. As those of you who were with us a week ago at this time, you may remember our discussions with Richard, who is the director of the Chatsworth Pavilion. It's really an, an amazing rehabilitation center known for its unique residential recovery program. Uh, and, you know, they deal with a little bit of everything at Chatsworth Pavilion, whether it's drug, alcohol, gambling, or sex. All addictions, as you know, begin as solutions. They are, well, they're really stress reducers. And in order for recovery to be successful, a certain kind of process has to take root, and the fundamental emotional needs served by the behavior have to be addressed. And as Richard has told us, recovery is quite a process. It's not an event. So we're going to bring Richard back on the line today. I know there were a lot of people that listened last week and, and were kind of fascinated by what goes on at Chessworth. Anyone interested in, in, you know, helping themselves if they are addicted. There are so many choices that they seem to be able to do these days and different kinds of programs. The one at Chatsworth is probably, I think, one of the most unique anywhere in that it's only three weeks. Not There aren't many others like yours, are there, Richard? No, not really. Uh, short-term programs have been replaced by, you know, 60-, 90-day programs. The uh, the convention out there is that you need more time, and the longer that you have them in the program, the better the success rate. And I must admit that for many people, that is true. However, we serve a, a segment that we believe can do very well with a short residential program combined with a robust aftercare program, outpatient aftercare. So, and, and I know when we signed off last week, we said we were going to explore the aftercare program in depth, and we're going to do that. But let me just ask you again, for, for someone who did not hear our discussion last week, who do you think is best suited for a three-week program? Um, because you're right, a lot of people, it, the three-week program just might not be long enough, and so many others are the normal you know, 60-day, 90-day, I guess 90 days is the most typical one that, that we hear about so often. How can you do in three weeks what it takes 90 days for some other programs to achieve? Yes. Well, we serve a specific clientele. Uh, we've designed the program to be accessible to professionals and students. Those are two main groups that we want to, to be able to help, and also mothers. You know, uh, These are people that have a hard time getting away. When you look at a professional, and, and, and you, you figure his cost of treatment, you also have to figure in the loss of earnings while gone to treatment. 
And so when you're talking to a lawyer, an accountant, a stockbroker, or, or a professional that, yes, has displayed addiction, he does meet the criteria for, you know, being able to say, well, yeah, you look, you have an addiction problem, you need to tend to it, but yet the person is still highly functional meaning that they're able to go to work every day, they're able to perform and perform very well, and as far as the performance at work is concerned, or at school, it's not that that's in question. But the person has this addiction situation. They've perhaps already seen a psychologist or psychiatrist, and they're already seen on an outpatient basis, and they're able to maybe string together two, three weeks of sobriety, of clean time, and then they relapse, and then they string another week or two together, and they relapse. And when they get into that cycle, this is where Chatsworth wants to be of service because that person, we don't believe, needs to go away for 90 days. We think that if that person can do a three-week residential component where we can really roll up our sleeves and do some good recovery work, give them the foundation that is needed so they can bring it back to their referring professional and now continue on an outpatient basis and really cover the six or nine months that, that we recommend. And, and cost-wise, it'll cost less, and the person will spend less and, 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 and lose less earnings and be able to continue working at home while still having a robust aftercare. So the program really is for a specific clientele. If you take a look at students, for instance, we have a lot of universities that refer to us, and, and that's because when a student first demonstrates, you know, a problem with addiction, with alcohol or drugs, you know, this is perhaps their first treatment. And, and we say, well, okay, if we bring it to the student's attention, we say, look, you need help, you need treatment with this, let's try this three-week program combined with a very robust aftercare. They don't have to lose the whole semester or the whole school year. And, and, and we do very well with that because the aftercare is such a key component. If you hold them by the hand and you support them and, and, and you box them into this accountability that exists when you're seeing a professional once or twice a week, you really are able to support the person for a longer period, again, for less cost and less disturbance to their life. And that's the clientele that we're really wanting to serve. All right. Very interesting. Yeah, you mentioned um, sending, for example, a professional, a lawyer, doctor, whoever it might be that fits that category, after they've spent the three weeks with you, sending them back to their referring professional. You use that term. Who might that be? And, and, you know, who typically would be that? We work with a, we work with a network of, of psychologists and doctors, psychiatrists throughout the United States and Canada. And we also work with interventionists. And we also work with uh, outfits that specialize in structuring and providing that whole aftercare management, if you wish. So for instance, if you take a look at um, the O'Connor Group out of Boston, uh, they've got a net network that spreads across the United States, and they're able to organize, uh, if need be, if the professional needs to have a sober companion to accompany them to a business meeting in Geneva, they can organize that so that the person is going to their business meeting in Geneva, which they cannot miss, they need to be there, but the sober yeah. companion will travel with them and hold them accountable and be of support to them while they're away from home. So it's to that level of personalized care and attention that we can go. 
all the way from that, all the way back down to just simply referring them to the psychologist that referred them to us so that they can be properly monitored and followed with the accountability and, and combined with the fellowship, plus the fellowship work that they need to do. Uh, and so the aftercare program will actually be tailored and designed for the specific needs of that person. Uh, a lot of universities and a lot of colleges have uh, a person on staff uh, on the college site itself that helps all the students that are in recovery with all of the, the meetings and, and, and the support that's needed for them. And these are the people that we work with so that when they refer to us, there's a continuum of care of being able to refer back to them. Uh, we work with the uh, Lawyers Association, for instance, here in Canada, out of British Columbia, uh, the, uh, the Lawyers Help Association, they, they lawyers helping lawyers. And when we refer them back, they're the ones that are in charge of making sure that the appropriate professional is found, the appropriate support, and, and whatever else needs to be put in place, including, for instance, for some professionals, it's going to be mandatory that they have a urine analysis, you know, weekly or, or, or a surprise call. You need to go today to have your urine tested. And, uh, and so the more accountability you build into it, the better chances of this person staying clean and sober for a longer time. Uh, the, the aftercare program obviously is critical, and you really help set that up. I mean, do you still play a role in the aftercare program once they leave you, or are you out we, of the picture at that point? No, we're we're pretty much out of the picture in the sense that what what I call our role is to be you know recovery cheerleaders. Of course, we stay in touch with the folks that leave Chatsworth. We uh, we want to be in communication with them uh, to just check up on them and to see are you going to see your professional? Are you doing what you need to do and whatnot? But we believe that we need to be out of the picture in order to avoid the triangulation so that the client will not tell us things that aren't, they're not telling their, their, their um, professional back home. Uh, so we encourage them to really solidify and develop that relationship back home because counseling eyeball to eyeball is always preferable to counseling over the phone. You know, you can see the person's affect, you see their face, you see their facial expressions, and that personal connection and bond is very important in the aftercare. And so we set it up from here. We work in conjunction with the referring professionals. If a person finds us, so to speak, in the Yellow Pages, which is very rare, but should a person find us or hear about us and call us, we will try to find a professional in their community that we can refer them to, that we can establish a relationship with. And, and of course, we also have the national organizations that can then you know, uh, arrange all the monitoring or the, the support that would be needed. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we work with CEOs of corporations that you know, they just can't stay put just because they're in recovery. And so we need to organize for them a system that will support them in their jobs, in their workplace, uh, if they need to travel and whatnot. So it's, it's, it's the willingness to um, cater to the person's needs rather than having a cookie-cutter approach. 
Um, but there are people that will come through through Chatsworth here uh, for whom the suggestion will be very strongly, we think you need to go to an extended care unit for at least an additional, you know, 30, 60 days just to sort of, you know, you can get your, your footing and your, your, your roots into recovery. And so we work with, uh, with uh, a myriad of, of uh, halfway houses and extended care units across the United States from, you know, from the East Coast to the West Coast, uh, you know, through Colorado and Arizona and Texas. And, uh, you know, we, we have a network of places that we can pick and say, okay, this is the one we feel is best suited for you. And, uh, and you can go there for an additional 30, 60 days uh, so that you can really get what, what you need as, as, as roots and recovery. But for most of our clientele, um, the three-week combined with a robust aftercare program set up back home in their hometown uh, does very well. And and do you hear back from them, you know, I, periodically to, to let you know how they're doing? I guess that the real crux of the question is, bottom line is, how successful is your program? And And really the key is it all depends on that aftercare program, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It, it, it really does depend on the aftercare program. It depends on what the person does with their program when they leave here. And, yeah. you know, we, we, we do believe we have a very high success rate based on uh, what the professionals tell us. Uh, what we hear from the professionals that refer to us is that the people that come back from Chatsworth have a much better understanding of the recovery process. They have a much better appreciation. Uh, they have a more uh, robust and continued uh, participation in therapy and in 12-step fellowships. So we, we're doing something really great here and, and, and being able to plant the seeds that are then nurtured back home. But from what we hear from the professionals that we work with, one of the things that they love about Chatsworth is how we're able to really help people fall in love with the idea of being well. You know, the, the, the goal for us is, is not to get a person to be clean and sober. Uh, we consider being clean and sober the entrance price that you pay to be in recovery. Uh, recovery is much more than that. You know, when, when you're talking about a recovery process, you're talking about a person being able to get back in touch with their inner strength of being, uh, learning how to respect themselves, learning how to really tap into their potential, uh, being able to uh, really develop the honesty and the humility to be able to uh, ask themselves why, you know, that self-awareness. Why am I reacting in this situation? Why am I reacting emotionally this way or that way? And to be able to manage that. The recovery management is really about uh, allowing you to regain mastery of your life. But it's done on, on what I believe is the essential, and that is to fall in love with the idea of being well, to, to say, you know what, I want to do this. I want to be well. I can see how this can benefit me. And the program at Chatsworth is designed in such a way so that every step of the way we explain to you why we're asking you to do something and how it will benefit you. And, and by doing it that way, by appealing to the intellect, and by soothing the emotions, by doing the emotional work, healing work that needs to be done, uh, the people that go through Chatsworth gain a much better appreciation, I believe, of what really recovery is. And the goal is not to be clean and sober. That, that's a byproduct. You know, the goal 
is to really be true to oneself, to be able to tap into your inner strength of being, to be able to reclaim your strength, to be able to reclaim your freedom of choice, which addictions robs from you, you know, to have done the emotional healing work, to be able to have addressed the guilt and the shame, the embarrassment, the powerlessness. So all of this contributes to the person's longevity and recovery. If a person is doing something because they love doing it, because they really see and understand and feel the benefit, then, of course, they're going to stick with it much longer. Yeah. The the other question that comes to mind is, does this work for all forms of addiction that, that you know folks come to you with? Because I know you treat more than just alcohol addiction and drug addiction. You, you do drug addiction, sex therapy, right, and, and yeah. alcohol? I think it's one of the things that, that we, we, we try to educate people in understanding that, you know, licensing for centers is given by which addiction you treat. So if you're in the States, you're going to apply for a license, and you're licensed as a chemical dependency unit, or you're licensed as a dual diagnosis, or you're licensed as a trauma, or you're licensed as a gambling, you know, compulsive gambling unit or whatnot. But... Fundamentally, what we noticed is that when you go to the fellowships that they all refer to, and, and, and this is the fun part now, you know, if you go to a chemical dependency unit that just does chemical dependency, they're going to refer you to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. But if you go somewhere to deal with, you know, uh, your codependency, they're going to refer you to Codependence Anonymous. If you go to a compulsive gambling unit, they're going to refer you to Gamblers Anonymous. And here's the fun part. What they all have in common is other than the first step of the 12-step program, which is modified for each group, so in Alcoholics Anonymous they say they're powerless over alcohol, in Gamblers Anonymous powerless over gambling, in Overeaters Anonymous it's food, in Sexaholic Anonymous it's sex, it's, you know, and gam you know, so on and so forth. Other yeah. than that, the program is the same, and it gives good results. So, so we ask ourselves, what are we? What are we supposed to be? And what I say is that Chatsworth wants to be an addiction treatment center. We treat addictions. So we treat what is within this person, this human being, that compels them to medicate. And the medicator could be a chemical medicator, alcohol, pills, drugs, sugar, caffeine, whatever, nicotine. But the medicator could also be a behavioral medicator. Love, romance, relationships, codependency, sex, gambling, shopping, spending, hoarding, you know. These are the medicators that, that soothe the need to medicate, which is based on this need to find a solution outside of myself for what ails me inside me. And the crux of addiction is that it, it, it can transfer from one to the other. They're interchangeable. So if you're treating an alcoholic and you make the mistake of leading him to believe that the problem is alcohol, you've done him a great disservice because alcohol is but a symptom. And once he treats alcohol addiction in his life and he says, okay, I'm going to quit drinking and I'm going to join Alcoholics Anonymous, that's when he starts realizing that, you know what, He's, he just has an addictive personality. And you hear this all the time. People will come to that awareness and they'll say, 
you know what? I'm, I'm, I just have an addictive personality. I mean, I can't just have a little bit of something. I got to have a lot of everything. And they realize with that self-awareness that their addiction is more than just the alcohol. So we say, okay, well, while you're with us in treatment, why should we just limit it to addressing your alcohol? Because we're going to help you identify what else you medicate with, knowing that if alcohol was your primary one, maybe the other ones didn't really show up all that much. But let me tell you, once you remove alcohol from the equation and you go back home and now you're sober and you don't drink anymore, you're going to find out that you might just, you know, jump into these others. Because if you don't address the need to medicate, you haven't really addressed addiction. And when people are surprised as to how do we mix populations, we say, well, we don't feel we do mix populations because all the people that come to us have addictions and dependencies. You know, and that's what we treat, addictions and dependencies. Well, it's really pretty fascinating listening to you, Chad. You obviously, you know a, a ton about all of this. I'm really interested in your background. How long have you been involved in this, in this kind of program? Oh, God, I started with, um, I started in this field in 79. Yeah, 79. I got, I, got, I got hired as an administrator at a treatment center. Yeah. And uh, I was going to devote maybe a year or two to them because my dream was to be the Donald Trump of Montreal, so to speak. I was going into real estate. <laughs> and um, okay. life has such a sense of humor, you know. I, I got in as an administrator, and at one point we lost a counselor, and it was my job to find a replacement, and I couldn't find one. And the clinical director said, well, you're going to need to facilitate this group. It's not real. You know, we're not asking you to be a therapist. We're not asking you to be a counselor. Could you just facilitate this group? And at first I said, no, 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 no. I, 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 I don't, don't do that. You know, I'm just an administrator. I don't do that. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I don't talk to people. And they said, well, you know, just here's the, here's the form. Just, you know, just facilitate the group until we can find someone. And... Um, what they found out was that apparently they, they said, um, you know, you really have a way with explaining things and you have a wonderful way of helping people develop an imagery and, and uh, to really understand the, the, you know, the intricacies of it. And at first I thought, well, you know, they're just saying whatever they need to say to keep me in that position. But um, what can I say? One thing led to another. Uh, I eventually went and got the academics that I needed to... Uh, uh, apply for certification as a certified counselor and um, slowly joined the clinical team while still taking care of the administration and uh, and the rest is history as we say i'm I'm prompted to ask did you ever have an addiction problem yourself because obviously oh God you know much about it. yeah no doug doug uh, no? listen other than anorexia bulimia and compulsive yeah. exercising other than those three <laughs> I just about have them all. <laughs> compulsive exercising that, yeah those are the compulsive exercising anorexia and bulimia are the three that uh, you know I don't have but okay. uh, by golly alcohol drugs oh yes alcohol I've, I've been uh, clean and sober since you've been there and done that in other words yeah you've yeah, been there been and clean done and sober right? since 78 yeah. yeah 
Well, because I, I, yeah. I was going to say, I've heard so many people say that, you know, unless you've experienced this yourself and gone through it, uh, you, you, you don't understand it that well. And obviously the ones who are best suited to help others are people who've been there before. So you really speak so eloquently on this whole subject and, and how it goes. Where, what about your passion? You, you obviously have a, a pretty deep passion for this, too, for treating people. Where, where did that come from? From your own experiences and problems with it? Yeah, you know, I think like a lot of people I get into the helping profession, you know, even though I got in it inadvertently somehow. Uh, my dad died of alcoholism yeah. and, uh, at 40 years old. And I was ashamed. He was a man of uh, incredible potential and abilities. Uh, and he never found a way to be happy in his life, you know. He was... Uh, I say he should have been a poet and a musician, which he was at heart, and he decided to become an industrialist instead and uh, drank his way through it um, and um, eventually uh, died of alcoholism at the age of 40. Uh, then, of course, I faced my own addictions and alcoholism and uh, got into recovery myself. And uh, when I realized, you know, when I, when I got onto the clinical team, that's when I realized you know, real estate, yeah, it's nice, it's great, you know, okay, I built another building or whatever. But really, there's there's something extraordinary about being able to help a person regain their love of life, you know. There, there's something just wonderful about helping a person rediscover themselves and their inner strength of being and helping a person realize that, you know what, I can do this. I, I can live addiction-free, and, and I can make something of my life. Um, one of my turning points in my, my personal life was um, a fellow once asked me as I was coming into recovery, and I was an arrogant, arrogant person, and he says to me, you know, as bright as you are, tell me, do you have anything to brag about in your life? And... Um, and I had done well. I was uh, married at 18. I uh, came into recovery at 20. Uh, I had a house. I had luxury cars. Uh, you know, I lived well. Uh, I had a knack for, you know, doing well in business and whatnot. And he said, as brilliant as you are, do you have anything to brag about? And I had to say, no. I was about to lose everything. The house, uh, the money, the cars, the wife. I was about to lose everything. And his follow-up question really just turned my life around. Because when he asked me if I had something to brag about, I thought that was a kind of a hit below the belt. You know, how dare you ask me this? You know I'm about to lose everything. But his follow-up question was, would you like to? Would you like to? Would you like have to something have to something to, brag about. to be brag Yeah, would yeah. you like to? Would you like to have something in your life to be proud of? Would you like to be proud of your life? And I thought about it and I said, yes. And he said, well, kiddo, I got a system for you that will help you do that if you want. And, and he introduced me to this system. And that is still at the foundation of what we do here at Chatsworth. And, and what I tell people when they come into Chatsworth is I'm going to introduce you to a system and here's the fun part. 
it's not going to be based on your belief. It's not going to be based on your faith, whether you believe it's going to work or not. It's not going to be based on your understanding of the how exactly it works. It's very simply put that the same cause produced the same effect. And I'm going to give you a recipe. So it's like giving you a recipe for lemonade. And if I give you this recipe, once you're doing it, even if while you're stirring, you look at me and you say, I don't believe this is going to work, I will say to you, it cannot not. It cannot not work. I'm, I'm sorry you're not that powerful. Your belief is very important in life, but it's not so powerful as to change the outcome of the recipe for this lemonade. And in recovery, what I love is I'm a systems person, and what I love is the system that we're offering people, I can say the same thing. If you do this, it cannot not work. You know, it cannot not. And, and then it's a question of helping people develop the uh, desire, if you wish, the, the willingness, the, the love of working that recipe. And uh, once you get that done, I'll tell you, you got people that are enthused about reclaiming their life, about being able to make something of their life that they're going to be proud of and repair the, you know, the goofiness of the past and turn their life around. And that is just, it's something that is, it's very rewarding without taking, without in any way taking credit for their hard work and what they do with their recovery. It's yeah. very rewarding to feel that you've been able to offer them that support at the beginning, you know? Well, Richard, you tell a compelling story. I must say you are so good at speaking about this whole subject. Um, we've run through the half hour. Our guest has been Richard Hoffman. He's the director of the Chatsworth Pavilion, uh, which is a treatment facility located in Montreal in Canada. Um, and I haven't mentioned it, but let me point out again, you have a great website. If you want more information on this, it's chatsworthpavilion.com. Uh, take a look at that, and that'll tell you how to contact Richard and the team there. Richard, this has been fascinating. We thank you for being with us. You'll be back again next week at noon and uh, Eastern Time, okay? Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug. You take care. You're very welcome, Richard. Take care. Okay. And that'll do it for today, everybody. I'm Doug Llewellyn. Again, our guest, Richard Hoffman from the Chatsworth Pavilion in Montreal, an excellent facility for the treatment of addictions. See you later. For now, have a great day, everybody. Again, I'm Doug Llewellyn. We'll see you next time on Close Up Talk Radio. Bye for now.